Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. Good morning. And you know, I usually start this show off by saying I'm looking out my window in my Fort Collins studio at a beautiful sunny day, but... I'm looking out my window at about four or five inches of snow that fell last night. It is uh, amazing. What an incredible winter and spring we've had. Uh, we had, I think it's in the top 14 or colder winters in Colorado history. We've got, we're pushing a record for days with snow on the ground. The upcoming temperatures are going to be below normal for quite a few days here, but They'll be above freezing, and boat ramps are opening. So we're going to talk about that quite a bit today. Uh, a lot of boat ramps are open. Horse Tooth and Carter, I believe, are going to open the first. I believe Boyd Reservoir is open already. Um, when Nate comes on, we'll talk about Chatfield and Cherry Creek, but I believe they're open today. Uh, unless weather, you know, or something, they couldn't get ANS inspectors. We will talk about that, though. In fact, the second hour, both Nate and Chad are going to talk a lot of fishing. So we'll have a lot of fishing in the second hour. We're going to talk a little bit about the big game draw this hour and some wildlife watching, which is really becoming a, a huge part of the Colorado culture. We'll talk about that. And we're going to talk some turkey hunting. In fact, let's start with that. Let's go right to the phones. And joining us from Pheasants Forever is Bob Hicks. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Terry. You know, long before you were with Pheasants Forever, which seems like that's been forever now, uh, you and I used to come on and we used to do like a whole show on turkey hunting. You'd come into the studio with me and bring your calls and sometimes you even wore camo. I couldn't even see you in the studio. But <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I ever was, wore camo. <laughs> yeah, but we had... We had, uh, back then, you know, like 20 years ago, we had some hardcore turkey hunters, and it was starting to take off in Colorado. And turkeys were being reintroduced all over the United States in a massive numbers. And all of a sudden, turkey hunting is right on the mainstream of Colorado hunting. And the season is right around the corner. Yes, sir. Uh, season opens on April 8th in Colorado. And the good news, as you alluded to when you opened the show, about how uh, how this winter won't let go, even though officially we're in spring. Our excuse me, our season goes till the end of May, and I think we're gonna for turkey hunters in Colorado. I think that it's gonna be a pretty rough start to our season, um, but middle of May could be fantastic. Now, is that we have two different turkeys in Colorado. We have the Miriams and the Rios, and some are in the mountains and some are down in the riverbed areas. Uh, is that going to apply to both those, or is it going to apply to just certain areas, the later start? I mean, the later getting better. You know, I think it applies to both areas. So uh, let's touch on the, the mountain turkeys, you know, the ones uh, Closer to Denver and Fort Collins and, you know, Colorado Springs and Pueblo, those are, those are our Marion turkeys. And, you know, they're going to be on the, you know, south-facing slopes right now that, you know, have little to hopefully no snow for them. They've probably had a pretty rough winter, I would, would imagine. And then as the snow kind of starts melting, Terry, my experience is, you know, they migrate as the snow melts west. 
And, um, you know, I, I think, you know, when it opens on April 8th, there's going to be a lot of snow and really a lot of places that aren't even accessible. Um, so, and then for the Eastern Plains turkeys, which is where our real grand populations are, you know, most of our Eastern Plains turkeys are strictly a draw tag unless you have access to private property you can buy an over-the-counter tag for a lot of the eastern plains but but that's all on private private property <clears throat> excuse me i got a, a scratchy throat this morning but uh you know early in the season the birds out here are going to be you know like they are everywhere they're going to be in larger flocks um you know in groups of 20 30 up to 40 birds um, it's really hard to call in those larger flocks, lots of lots of eyeballs, lots of ears, and unless you can call those lead ends into your area, you know, those gobblers aren't going to leave, you know, 20, 30 girlfriends. So it's, it's to me, it, it gets better later in the season, no matter if you're in the mountains or on the eastern plains. Well, let's talk a little bit about, first of all, if, the draw for turkey hunting obviously is over already. If people put in for the draw, they would know where they're hunting and they're going to have to adapt to what they drew. But what if I'm new to turkey hunting and I just decided to get an over-the-counter tag? Um, where would you, is there some areas of the state that might be easier for me to get acclimated to in turkey hunting or might have a better chance of success? Well, you know, for the over-the-counter tags, you know, you're, you're pretty much restricted to, to hunting, you know, the front range, you know, the Rampart range up by Deckers, and then that runs all the way down toward Woodland Park in Colorado Springs. And then from there, you get on the south side of Pikes Peak. From there, all the way to the New Mexico border along that front range. And I would say there are a lot more turkeys, you know, in the southern part of our front range, you know, Trinidad, Canyon City, West Cliff, that country, um, you know, there's less birds the further north you go. But there are pockets of birds all along the front range, all the way up through Fort Collins. Now, if you say it's probably going to be better later because the amount of snow and everything and the colder weather, should I still be out maybe scouting or should is that kind of almost not practical right now? Oh, I think it's practical, but again, you know, where I used to do a lot of hunting, you know, I was born and raised in Littleton, and so I hunted a lot in the Rampart Range as a new turkey hunter, and, uh, you know, a lot of these, you know, years when I first started, you know, you'd go up there and the Rampart Range Road is is closed, and I'm sure it's got to be closed this year right now, and so once they open Rampart up and, and, you know, it's open all the way, then you can really, you know, get out and start scouting. And one of my most memorable, successful turkey hunts is we went up, um, you know, after actually a snowstorm, and we drove the Rampart almost to Woodland Park, it felt like. I was with a friend that really knew the country, and, you know, we stopped, along, you know, every half mile and, you know, made some calls hoping to, you know, strike one up here, gobble, and we didn't. And then on our way back, um, we cut some tracks that crossed across the, the road. My friend spotted them, and, and we got out, and we actually tracked them like hunting, you know, elk in the fall, tracking them in the snow. And uh, 
We tracked them about a half mile, and my buddy made a call, and boy, they gobbled, and we set up, and up through the trees came four big gobblers, and I got, you know, my first ever Rampart Range turkey. So, um, so that's what I gauge on, Terry. You know, when you know you're able to get up and access some of those Rampart Range roads, it'll be obviously uh, more accessible further south. Um, you know, down in the West Cliff, Canyon City, Trinidad country. But like I tell a lot of people that, that I try to help with turkey hunting, you know, those, that first weekend is like any opening weekend. That's when the majority of people go. And so if you can just kind of put it off the first couple weeks, if you can hunt during the week, you know, you're going to see little to no pressure. Um, so, um, but scouting is, is key to me. For most anything you hunt and you know I do a lot of hunting out of state too Terry and we can touch on that and so you know when you're on the great plains of the United States and the Dakotas Nebraska Kansas eastern Colorado you know it's time to go scouting right now I was out scouting the other day I was fortunate enough to draw eastern Colorado tag this year and I spotted a, a group of about you know 25 birds and there were two gobblers uh two days ago and they were out strutting so they're they're starting and i'm i'm starting to scout right now well, i'm sure people are getting overly excited uh turkey hunting is something that once you get into it just grabs you and the new people are probably a little anxious we only we're not going to have a lot of time but let's go through a few things like i'm going out the first time and normally we'd spend a lot of time talking about your shotgun and patterning your gun but we've been covering that with Colorado Clays. In fact, I put a podcast on my social media page, the um, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, on that very subject. Let's go, like, how, what kind of calling, just to get started, what do I have to be able to do? Well, I grabbed a couple calls, uh, dug out my vest last night, preparing for, for our call today. So I've got two calls. Hopefully people can hear it. First one I'm going to use is a box call. You know, a simple call you make is called a Yelp. It's just trying to get the right cadence, which is consistency, which is basically rap, 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 pause, rap, 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 pause. That'll kill about 90% of the turkeys that are walking in the woods. So that's just a simple And you do that, that's a... that's a friction call, and you do that by just rubbing us on it, right? Correct. And, and you know, this, this is one of my older calls, and I didn't even chalk it. I just pulled it out of my case. It's been sitting in my vest since last spring. Um, you know, so, you know, a good box call is, you know, you, you know, you can spend hundreds of dollars on a custom call, but, you know, good box calls, you know, 30 to $50. And you chalk it up, and then when you drag the lid across the reed, it, it creates friction. And, you know, and I'm just, what, what I learned is, you know, turkeys have a very consistent call. It's, it's not broken up except one call they do, which is called a cutting call. But, yeah, I'm just dragging it. <laughs> just like that. And so um, it's just a basic you know, call. And to me, the box call is, is the easiest call to master. Um, it's, you know, 
It's a little bulky, but not very bad. And I always recommend finding a case, put your calling because they can be fragile. Um, and, um, you know, to take care of it, the one thing a box call will not work in is in rain and snow. If it gets wet, it, it won't work, but, um, let okay, me just so run through a couple. Go ahead. Go ahead. Tell, can you tell so, us about the so other call? The Yelp. That's the Yelp. This is just a clock. And all I'm doing is dropping the blade on the reed and popping it like I'm striking a match. That's the clock, and then this is a purr where I just hold the 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 plate on the reed and drag it slowly. And that's it. You've got those three calls, and then this last call is called a cutting call, where I actually turn the box call around and hold the paddle and take the box part of the call and and hit it into it. And this is the one call that's a little irregular. So that's it. You got a yelp, you got a cluck, you got a purr, and you got a cutting call. And what was and the other call you talked about? Is that one you could use in wet weather? Well, it, 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 you know, if the box call gets wet, you, you, you're done. You know, so okay, but another a, type of call. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So that's you know, there's there's a call called a wing bone call, which is. Uh, you know, they actually, you know, was the original turkey call. Indians made them out of the wing of the turkey, and, you know, the old-time hunters use them. And, and that's one that you actually don't blow through. You actually suck through it. Um, you can use a mouth call. Uh, elk hunters are going to be very familiar with that. Um, it's a little harder to master, but just like elk hunters, you know, to, to really master turkey calling and elk calling – you have to learn how to use those those mouth calls. And there's a lot of calls that have been developed in the last 20 years that are that are handheld, like push-button plastic calls that sound great and, and will work in the rain. So all right, it actually we're, we're, sound really good when it's raining. All right. We're going to run out of time quickly here. So the next most important thing is probably camo and visibility, right? Yeah, you, you want to, you know... You know, you want to dress properly. Obviously, we live in Colorado. The weather changes all the time. Springtime in the plains or in the mountains. So, you know, dress appropriately. You know, I, you know, nobody likes being cold. So, boy, it, it's cold sitting there in the morning when, when you're, you know, waiting for the sun to come up. So you've got layers on and you can always take them off. I always recommend a vest, you know, because carries your calls if you're lucky enough to harvest a turkey and you got a couple mile hike in the mountains um you know it holds your your harvested bird um uh, a face mask so it covers your face full camouflage head to toe They're, they have great eyesight i camo my shotgun you know i, I camo everything terry all right. Well, we're going to run out of time here quickly, but a lot of great tips start giving there, Bob. And the one other thing I know you wanted to touch on that Colorado's developed some pretty good turkey hunting, but if people get into it, a trip to another state can really pay off too, can't it? Well, yeah. I mean, you know, you know, sometimes you get lucky. You go out early in the season in Colorado and you harvest a bird. We're only allowed to harvest one bird a year then you're done. You know, you've got a lot of states accessible like Kansas, Nebraska, going up to Wyoming, 
Um, South Dakota, the Black Hills of Wyoming and South Dakota are full of turkeys. It's not crazy expensive. You know, non-resident tags are, you know, $100, $125. Um, I've been very fortunate to hunt, you know, you know, 20 probably different states in my lifetime. It's a, it's a great experience. And, um, you know, states like Nebraska, you can harvest up to three turkeys, Oklahoma, three, Texas, five. So, you know, there's a lot of states with a lot more turkeys than we have. And they're, you know, a lot of places you can get to in, in six or eight hours. And, and, you know, one thing I want to just quickly touch on, I know we're running out of time, Terry, is just a shout out to all the the moms and dads that are getting their kids out into fishing and hunting, you know, especially the single parents that are out there, the, the moms that are out there, um, you know, getting their kids into the outdoors. You know, you know, I lost my mom a couple of years ago and, you know, mother's day is coming up. So an early shout out to all the moms for, for mother's day and um, for what you do, Terry, for the outdoors men and women of Colorado, you know, can't thank you enough for that, but, you know, get those, kids out get get your girlfriends and wives out take your friends out take somebody out hunting and fishing this year is my message to everybody all right we're out of time but i do want to get you back on and talk about the upcoming pheasant season and see how how this weather might help us this year bob thanks for joining us thank you terry bob hicks from pheasants forever a lot of great information we're gonna take a quick time out we come back we're gonna go switch up and talk about the big game hunt on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan, brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear. You know, the East Loveland store is doing their grand reopening this weekend, and there's a lot to see there. You should stop on by. Let's go to the phones, and joining us from Colorado Parks and Wildlife, uh, Danielle Eisenhart. Good morning, Danielle. Good morning, Terry. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for being patient. The turkey segment ran a little long, but I thought it was good stuff. It was interesting. And so yeah. anyway, we got you've got some interesting stuff to get to. Also, the the deadline for the big game draw is coming up. There's been some change in what's known as the allocations. Kind of tell us what's going on. Sure. Well, we'll start with um, deadline for big game applications, which is coming up in a little over a week. So just encouraging people, again, to apply. The deadline is April 4th at 8 p.m. Mountain Time. So it's the weekend, perfect time to get on and get your applications in if you haven't already. And I think the message to people is don't wait till the last minute because if something happens, uh, you never know in today's world. You get First of all, the system can get overwhelmed or you can have to change something or make a mistake. And there's no time to recover. So don't wait till the last minute, folks. You should have been doing your work. We've been taking you through this. But make sure you don't miss out either because there's some great opportunities. In fact, the way that the draw licenses are allocated has been a big, uh, kind of a big item in the last couple of years. Tell us what's going on there. Yeah, so our allocation rules, which basically dictate how many of our limited licenses um, go to residents versus non-residents, um, that regulation was actually updated in November of last year. So for 2023, we have a new allocation rule in place. Um, so we still have the same percentages. Uh, most of our deer and elk, bear and pronghorn licenses are allocated 65% to residents and 35% to non-residents. Um, but we also have our high-demand hunt 
um, which are 80% to residents and 20% to non-residents. And what changed this year was um, we were using um, a three-year average that was frozen from 2007, 2008, and 2009. And that has now been updated to a rolling three-year average with a one-year lag. So for this coming draw, we'll be using 2019, 2020, and 2021 data. So basically any hunt code that t- took six or more resident preference points to draw on average will kind of fall into that 80-20 um, hunt code percentages. So um, the big thing is it added a bunch of new hunt codes this year since we updated that three-year average. Um, so we're looking at some around 30 new antelope hunt codes. 26 deer hunt codes, 14 elk, and three bear that have been added to that high demand 80-20 list. So I think that's great news for our residents. And is there a place online that they maybe can go look at those lists? Um, yeah, and our if you go to the Hunting Big Game site of our website, you'll see two different um, flyers. One is specifically to that high demand 80-20 list where you'll see the specific cup codes that have been added to the 80-20. And then similarly for our hybrid draw, we also updated that three years used to determine the hybrid draw list. So there's another fact sheet that will show you the hunt codes um, added to the hybrid draw. All right, you know, I want to talk a little bit more about the allocations, but before I do, I kind of skipped over the fact that there are so many people that are getting ready to put in their application for the draw. You guys have so many resources online. You have so much information about harvest um, information, terrain information, and even your call planning center to help people. So anybody who's lost, there's just lots of people there to help, isn't there? Correct, yeah. Um, The hunt statistics pages in particular, I think, are helpful to folks. Um, Those are broken out by species. You can see how many preference points, for example, it took to draw different hunt codes. Um, Our harvest stats are also online. And as you mentioned, if you're not an expert at hunting and you need a little extra help, we have our hunt planner line that's open Monday through Friday, 8 to 5. They can help you walk through the whole process. And if you're not tech savvy and you need help with actually applying, um, our Aspira Call Center is open 24-7, seven days a week. Um, I can give you that phone number so you can call in and apply as well if you aren't good on the computer. So that phone number is 1-800-244-5613. And the last comment I want to make, and I'll let you, and I, I don't want to put you on the spot, but um, this is some, this is my own observation. This is coming from me. The fact we're allowing more of the draw licenses to go to residents, I think is fantastic. I mean, that's, everybody in the state should be happy. Some people wish we didn't have any out-of-state hunters, but if you look at the amount of revenue that out-of-state hunting brings to Colorado, both directly to Colorado Parks and Wildlife and to the communities, um, it would be devastating to those to the economy of hunting if we totally abandoned the out-of-state hunter, wouldn't it? Absolutely. When we have been discussing this allocation topic with our Parks and Wildlife Commission, we did hear from a lot of outfitters and small businesses, especially on the western slope, that would be greatly impacted by any allocation change. Even just updating this three-year rolling average um, does impact those communities and those folks. All right. So I think the first thing is there's more opportunities. Get your draw in. And if you're not going to draw, remember, we have 
elk hunting over the counter tags in Colorado. We're one of the few states in the western United States where you can do that. So there's a ton of opportunities to get out and hunt. Danielle, thank you so much for updating us on that. Sure. Yeah, those OTC oh. licenses will be available August 1st for folks to purchase. And our commission is looking at OTC licenses for the future and whether those will continue. But for 2023, no changes with over-the-counter. All right. Thank you, Danielle. Thank you, Terry. All right. Danielle Eisenhardt, get your, get your applications in. You don't want to miss out. This could be this. I've been listening to Nate take us into this season and the timing of the, the, the seasons this year, the fact that dates have been pushed back a little bit. He thinks it's going to line up to be one of the best elk and deer seasons we've ever seen. So get your get your draw information in or at least get plan on where you're going to hunt. We're going to take a time out. When we come back, we're going to talk about wildlife, but wildlife watching and what an important part of the outdoor community it's becoming, both for people partaking and also for revenue. Right here on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. That little intro was Music Lives Forever by Wickstrom and Dovereth, our musical group. You know, if you want to have some fun listening to our music and give us some feedback, search Wickstrom and Dovereth on either social media or your favorite streaming service. We'd love to hear your feedback. All right, let's go to the phones. Joining us from Colorado Parks and Wildlife is Mary McCormack. Good, good morning, Mary. Hi, Terry. How are you doing? You know, I'm doing really well, and we're talking a lot about hunting this time of the year. Turkey season is about to start. The draw for big game is about to go in, and a lot of people are getting excited about spring, but spring's also a great time to get get excited about another outdoor activity that is really taking off in the last few years, even prior to COVID, and, after, and during COVID even more, and that's uh, wildlife viewing. Yeah, absolutely. It is definitely one of the probably the most fast-growing wildlife-related form of recreation out there. I think um, in the last kind of major study that was done uh, in 2016 by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, I think it was over a third of people um, participate in some form of wildlife viewing. So it's definitely uh, a a hugely popular activity when it comes to wildlife. It really is. And uh, Colorado Parks and Wildlife just took part in a survey that was done both nationally and right specifically to Colorado. Is that right? Yeah, that is correct. In the last couple of years, we've been working with Virginia Tech University uh, with the Association of Fish and Wildlife Agencies on a nationwide report, uh, basically just looking at, you know, how to support wildlife viewers help broaden the relevance of fish and wildlife agencies because obviously it's a huge number of people that identify as wildlife viewers and then also trying to look at some of that the potential financial support that wildlife viewers um, could have potential for more direct costs in agencies like us so uh, so they surveyed you know thousands of people across the nation but then individual states uh, could 
uh, you know, basically pay for uh, a more focused report on their state. And Colorado is is one that that we chose to do that. I think there were some interesting results. I want to get into them a little bit. But one thing that you told me when we talked earlier is one thing that jumped out is across most of the country, the people, the wildlife, you tend to do a lot of birding, which we do here in Colorado, a lot of birding yeah. in Colorado. They tend to watch a lot of smaller animals and, and you know, squirrels, rabbits, turkeys, those kind of things. But Colorado had a, a, a kind of almost a disparity of people wanting to watch more large mammals, you told me. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. When they, you know, when they gave us kind of a, a presentation on our Colorado results, that was one question I had for them is, you know, what what stood out for us in Colorado that was a little bit different than other states? And she said definitely for a lot of states, the birding was the, the kind of the most desired um, species to go out and, and view. But in Colorado, it was large on animals that which makes sense because we have moose and bears and deer and you know elk and lots of cool big animals so it makes sense that 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 would be a little bit different for us than other parts of the country well and we're so much cooler in colorado than the rest of the country anyway so (laughs) So true that is so true now (laughs) some points did come up you shared with me some information about how to get to facilitate people in the wild in their uh, wildlife viewing, and you went over two or three points with me. Can you share some of that? Sure, absolutely. So some of the 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 kind of things that came out, you know, obviously a lot of this is trying to figure out, you know, what does the community need, what does the community want from us in terms of supporting wildlife viewers. And I know I mentioned to you, you know, one of the cool. One of the cool things that has come out of this um, survey is really seeing that both hunters and non-hunters really value wildlife viewing programs and would like to see more support when it comes to uh, wildlife viewing programs. And so something that we're um, taking away from the survey um, that we would like to focus on at CPW is really promoting around the home viewing because most it was like over 75% of people do most of their viewing around their home. And I think um, one of the barriers that we heard was obviously time, which there's not a lot you can do to, to meet um, that barrier, but the cost and the distance that people have in their mind when it comes to wildlife viewing um, was, were also barriers. And so if we focus more on, hey, there, wildlife is all around you. You don't necessarily have to travel. You might have to redefine what wildlife is to you, right? It's going to look very different if you're in a rural area versus if you're in like a a downtown city area. Um, But that doesn't mean there isn't equal opportunity to see wildlife. So we're going to really try to focus our efforts. We're we're part now of a a, um, group of other states where we're going to come together and brainstorm different ideas to continue the implementation of this sur- the survey results. Uh, so there's a few of us that are kind of focusing on programming um, related just to that kind of easy access to wildlife viewing and focusing on around the home, um, you know, what to look for, how to look for kind of, because we also saw like a lot of people identify kind of as beginner in their wildlife viewing, um, you know, journey. So 
trying to support and help them kind of move up to maybe getting more into intermediate uh, would be a good goal for us. Well, I know I live in a suburban area, and yet I have fox. I've had deer, but they're rare where I live. I've had mountain lions, but they're rare where I live. But they've been here, and I have squirrels and rabbits and unbelievable birds and raptors, unbelievable. So there's a lot. And if you start by looking at those and understanding their habits and what they do, when you do get those chances to go on a longer expedition, maybe up in the mountains to watch elk or moose or up to Rocky Mountain National Park, you're a little better prepared um, to get out there. And the nice thing about wildlife watching is you don't need to pay for a lot of expensive equipment. Exactly. Yeah, there's so much you can there's so much you can do without any equipment, right? I mean, I live in I live just a few miles from downtown Denver. I'm like in the East Denver area, and you know, just having um, you know birds in the neighborhood. I mean, we see all kinds. I've seen nuthatches. I've seen chickadees. Like really cool, fun birds that you would also see in other parts, um, you know, uh, you know, in other environments in Colorado too. So, yeah, I think just getting people to really appreciate what is just right, easily accessible out their back door that you don't need, um, you know, I don't need binoculars to see the birds that come into the trees or to go to a, a, a park down the street. Um, doesn't take any any equipment. You can check a book out of the library um, for identification if you want. Um, but, you know, even that's not as important as just viewing and enjoying and really appreciating all of this amazing wildlife that we have around us. And what a great way to get kids in touch with the outdoors and nature and have them thinking about it and maybe grow up to want to spend more time outdoors. There's also in today's digital world some pretty nice apps you can put on your phone to help you with it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, there's um, there is some great. I want to see it's Merlin ID that actually has the um, you can listen for bird calls and the um, app will help you identify what bird call that is. So there's a lot of really cool. There's eBird, which can, um, you know, these are kind of more eBird is more of like a citizen science type app where you can document, you know, species and things that you see depending where you are. But they have a lot of great resources um, about birding uh, in apps out, out there, no doubt. And then there's also iNaturalist for, you know, all species, you know, from plants to, to wildlife, too. All right. It sounds great. I'm glad to see. Colorado Parks and Wildlife, because people don't realize you don't just manage hunting. You manage all the wildlife in Colorado, and everybody should be thinking about finding ways to contribute to Colorado Parks and Wildlife because they're pro you're probably impact impacting in some way almost all their lives. Absolutely. And it's as you and I spoke yesterday, you know, I've, I've seen the power of wildlife viewing festivals in communities that have experienced, you know, real tragic losses like the floods that we experienced not too long ago. And, you know, we still were up at Elk Fest up in Estes Park. Uh, people were still there uh, supporting the community, putting money into the community. Um, I just got back from the Monta Vista Crane Festival, and you know that that is a community that there's a lot of money that's coming into that community because of all of the people going there to see the crane. So we know that there's money in wildlife viewing, especially in the local communities, but that connection to the agency is a little uh, less strong. So, so uh, there are definitely some states that that's their main focus is 
developing programs where wildlife viewers could contribute financially to the agency. We're not quite there yet. We're going to start a little bit with um, an easier project, I think. But um, that's a goal, hopefully, one of these days. (laughs) Mary, we are out of time. Thank you so much. It's a great topic. It's a great way for people to stay in touch with nature and just enjoy the outdoors. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Mary. All right, we're going to take a quick time out. When we come back, we're going to be joined by the people from the Great American RV Show. In fact, if you can't hang around, but you should, and you want more information, go to greatamericanrv.show because we have the biggest RV show in the state coming up at the 30th of and 31st of March and 1st of April. All that and more coming up on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Let's go to the phones. And uh, joining us is Melanie Atkinson. Good morning, Melanie. Good morning, Terry. How you doing today? I'm do- Well, I'm doing great, except I got some snow in my yard, and I was looking forward to getting on the patio, so I might have to wait a couple days. But other than that, things are pretty darn good. Now, you're bringing an event to Colorado that I believe is going to be the largest RV show the state has ever seen. Is that correct? That is correct. We are excited to bring it to. And I've I've got some stats here that there's over 500 units and 20 dealers. Let's get, we'll get into the specifics in, in the show in just a minute. Let's talk a little bit about that RV lifestyle. Now, I've owned RVs in my life. My wife and I have spent time in campgrounds. And I think one of the biggest draws to us was the camaraderie, this community that develops between RVers. But boy, RVs have come a long way and there's so many other aspects to it, isn't there? There are so many. You know, RVs started back in the 1920s when the very first gentleman, I think his name was Ronald Conklin, decided that he wanted to take his family out of the city and get into the country. So he was very industrious and created his own kind of, raised lift wagon so to speak and since then they've come a long way everybody loved it they hired him to make more and today they're the the rv industry overall is a 140 billion dollar industry now people think of rvers being retired people with a lot of time or people who maybe get into a lesser unit that just spend a few weekends a year camping but with people working remote and schools remote and internet available almost anywhere, a lot of people are really turning it into a full lifestyle much earlier in their life, aren't they? They are. You know, when I was growing up, um, a van down by the river was something that, that you didn't want to be. Now it's a life goal. We see so many people are getting into RVing because they want to become overlanders or um, explore where there are no roads. That's really what an overlander is. And it takes a special kind of vehicle to do that. And we have many um, overland-type products that you can see. And that age is uh, changing, too. You would think it's, you know, the 20s and 30s, but the free-spirited Americans that we are, the 40s and 50s people want to be overlanders still as well. So Wolf Riggs is one of the um, organizations that's actually built a, like a truck camper on a Humvee. 
but it's not a something that you add on like regular truck campers. It's actually built into the Humvee. So that that's one product that's a, a, a brand new product that's coming to the market that people will be able to see, as well as 500 others. <laughs> Well, and trends, and I just I was looking at some clips you sent me, and some of the trends that jumped out at me. Now, the new lithium battery systems on some of these, you can spend almost days without recharging, and you can recharge, of course, with generators. A lot of them have solar recharging available. And, you know, one of the things, because of the space and the way they've the floor plans have developed, you can keep so much of your stuff packed in the RV and you're not packing and unpacking after every trip, you kind of have your set stuff and you can live in it so, so comfortably. And uh, it's just, it's just an incredible lifestyle. Once you take us through what's going to be going on at the show while we have a few minutes left here. Wow. So what's going on at the show? We open our hours are 10 to seven on Thursday and Friday and nine to six on Saturday. Um, when you walk into the event, so you go to the Colorado Convention Center, find your favorite parking spot, and you're going to make your way to Lobby D. That's where the entrance for the event will be um, after you buy your ticket. And by the way, online sales with discount tickets end on the 29th, which is Wednesday. So, But you can still buy tickets at the show. They'll be $15 at the show, but $12 online. So you'll go up the escalators, and as you walk in, there is just seven football fields of RVs for you to explore. Now, we've got this really cool map that we're going to give you as you go in, and it's actually a newspaper so that you can make your way to your favorite. Um, but um, there's every kind of RV and camper that you can imagine, from um, the first-time travel trailers to the... the um, uh, diesel pushers that Great Outdoors is going to bring. I just, it's going to be massive. So bring I'm sure there'll be toy, toy haulers and fifth wheels and just about every configuration anybody could imagine. Every, every one, yes. And multiples of them, too. So you can really compare. I mean, if you went to all 20 of these dealers, I actually put it in MapQuest, you'd be traveling over 2,000 miles. So that you could, but you can't compare one unit to the other like you can at a show. So this is, that's a really good reason to actually come and spend your time looking at, if you want a toy hauler, you're going to have 15 of them to look at. Well, and I think another thing is what you're doing. We're going to be out of time here in just a few seconds, but you really have gotten these dealers to reach out to the manufacturers and you're calling this the real deal show because there are some great buys and some true real deals at the show. Is that right? That is. And the, some of the dealers are actually, um, they've made uh, uh, arrangements with their manufacturers. So you can get this deal at the show, but if you can't make a decision for a month, they're going to extend it for a little bit. Um, but um, so that they may only have five on their lots to offer. But if you actually place an order, they're going to honor that price until the order comes in. But And the entry-level prices, these guys have really slashed the bottom line. Um, so if you're looking for a brand-new entry product, there's I think there's four of them that have the best real deals. And you can find those on our website. So go check us out. All right. The show is uh, 
30th and 31st of this month, 1st of April. You, get, you can get tickets and find out more information at greatamericanrv.show. That's greatamericanrv.show. Um, Melanie, thanks for joining us. I hope you have a great show. Thanks. Look forward to meeting you, Terry. All right. Thank you, Melanie McCormick. We're going to take a time out. When we come back, Nate Solinsky will join us, and uh, we're going to switch things up and talk some catching walleyes in the snow right here on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan.